0: Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one, Mats Velander, and Texas Longhorn all time great, two time All American, Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So take it away, AZ.
1: And take it away, I will. Welcome everybody to kickserveradio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As you know by now, the team consists of the great Mats V. Lander, seven-time Grand Slam champion, former number one in the world, international tennis Hall of Famer, as well as one of the all-time greats in Texas Longhorn tennis history, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. I'm your host, Andy Zoden, and the year is winding down Boys, we're through the ATP Tour Finals. We've got all kinds of stories to get to. We want to talk about what we are thankful for in the sport of tennis. Uh, the movie King Richard has been released. There's been some reviews on that. We'll touch on that a little bit. Of course, we have no choice but to uh, make mention of the Peng Shui situation, as unfortunate as it is. But let's start with this, Mats Vlander. Sasha Zverev wins the Tour Finals beats Novak Djokovic in the semis, beats Daniel Medvedev in the finals. How much credit should he get for winning this? Or because of the fact that these are not best of five set matches, do we have to set this result aside as not that big a deal?
2: Andy, um, first of all, I really appreciate, uh, and I think you agree, Johnny, that you still call us boys. Is that because you're two years older than us? I guess it must be.
1: I think I got three on you, and I think before we went on air, we determined that I'm much fatter than the two of you as well.
2: <laughs> now that is true. That's because you're not a clay court specialist, I guess. Um, <laughs> I think that Sasha Sverreman, remember he won it in 2018. He played unbelievably well, uh, beat Novak Djokovic in the finals there in straight sets had lost to Novak in the round robin that year. Uh, and at that time was working with Ivan Lendl. And obviously uh, we still don't know to this day what Lendl taught him between the loss in the round robin to the win in the finals. But same thing now. He lost to Daniel Medvedev in the round robin. Uh, he seemed to have learned a lot from that loss and came back and, and beat Medvedev. I have to say pretty easily, and beat Novak um, not easily, but he was the better player. So I think you have to say that he is one of the big favorites to win a Grand Slam next year. I really believe that. I think five sets uh, work in his favor these days. I think that serve is such a huge weapon. His second serve is not a problem anymore. Um, He's playing way more aggressively from the baseline and coming to the net makes sense to him. So, uh, this was a very fast court apparently, but I think that he's going to be really tough to beat. I think he's he's taken a step in in very much the right direction, and when I see him play like that, I think he's more dangerous than someone like Daniil Medvedev. Um, I think he's more uh, complete than Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, and um, and that serve. I mean, the serve is an incredible weapon, and then somehow. He manages to move well enough where he can hang in all those rallies with the two best baseliners in the game, Novak and Daniil. So I'm very impressed. I'm not surprised. I think the best part about the whole thing is that 2020 US Open final against Dominic team seemed to have only taught him a lesson. Uh, And you have to say that this is an unbelievably good year with winning this and being an Olympic gold medalist. So I'm... um, proud of him to actually figure out how he needs to play tactically and he's pretty much spot on these days
1: Johnny a couple of years ago we saw Grigor Dimitrov play in similar fashion to what we saw from from Zarev and winning the tour finals in London and we saw him beat David Goffin in that final we saw him uh looked like he was on the verge of breaking through and doing things that he had not done, and yet he did not live up to that promise.
3: What suggests in
1: Zverev's game that that won't be the same thing in 22?
3: I think, Andy, that the difference between Dimitrov winning his World Tour Finals and Zverev winning this year's World Tour Finals is that for Zverev, he's coming off a gold medal at the Olympics. He's won the world tour finals previously. He has had fantastic results. He's been a lot more consistent in the top five. Dimitrov was kind of a one-time top five guy and then fell off. And Zverev has proven that he is one of easily the three best players in the world right now. And um, the question that I have is Everyone now believes that he will win a slam in 2022. We've seen him fold under pressure before. As a matter of fact, in the semis against Djokovic, he was really faltering. The nerves were really getting to him, but he he hit a couple of big serves that got him out of that. Can he handle the nerves now with him hearing everyone thinking that he's going to be the next young gen guy to win a slam? And, And so now the pressure is really on him. I think he will. But it's not going to be easy. It it just will not be easy for him because that serve under pressure, we've seen it go under 90 miles an hour on that second serve. So it'll be interesting to see. He's got all the confidence in the world. I really believe he now knows that he should win a slam. He's capable of it. Matt's
1: with Djokovic faltering in Tokyo, coming up short at the U.S. Open, coming up short in Turin, It's still an incredible year because he was one match away from a calendar slam. But going into 22, does he maintain that level of absolute, unparalleled, prohibitive favorite in every major the way he did in 21? Or are the expectations of, in particular, Zverev and Medvedev such that it could be any one of these three guys in in, in a given major? Or does Djokovic's, you know, obviously – embarrassment of 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 20 of 20 majors give him the leg up on these guys still going forward by far
2: I don't think so I think this is the first time when I have to say that I think Novak goes into 2022 as most probably the slight favorite but I think there's a lot of guys in the draw these days that that are not necessarily intimidated by Novak's game I don't think they're necessarily intimidated by his body language. I think they're intimidated by his movement, by his uh seriousness, by his professionalism. But I don't think they're necessarily that scared to to uh to get into rallies with Novak. I think a lot of guys think that they serve as good as Novak. And now that they've seen him lose to Medvedev uh, at the US Open and to Sverev here, two sets to love down to Stefano Tsitsipas. I think the 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 um, Magic is gone a little bit, I think, from the locker room. I really believe that. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's not the favourite. I think he's the favourite. He does, it still doesn't seem like he's 34 years old. Seems um, he seems a lot younger than that. He seems a lot younger than Roger and Rafa. That's for sure when he's on the court. Um, but, um, you know, if Rafa doesn't show up at the French Open, then maybe the French Open is the one where he has as big a chance as on hard courts because clearly on hard courts – these guys are so good these days. Uh, and these taller guys have a serious advantage with the serve and the reach. But I still think clay courts, they are not that many great clay court players. And there's certainly not that many grass court players. So maybe next year, Wimbledon is the one where he has the best chance. Uh, but I think he looks back at this year maybe uh, with a confidence that's not uh, really high. But great memories, of course, Um, a great ride in New York, but a lot of anticlimactic situations for Novak. So I'm not sure. Uh, In the end of the year, I feel like he's had better years. I really do.
1: They talked about that during the Tour Finals. What What was his best year? Was it 2015? Was it 2011? Was it this year? Johnny, you made mention of the expectations for Zverev based on the year that he had and based on the way that it has finished, that he should... He should be viewed as, as one of the favorites to win a major next year. If you had to guess, who would you say is more likely to win a major, either Nadal or Federer or Alexander Zverev?
3: Wow, that's a good one. Um, you know, with the French Open in May, um, I've said it before, I was wrong the last time in that Nadal lost to Djokovic. Uh, in the semifinal, I believe um, of last year's French, I'm, I'm still going with Nadal because I think Nadal is going to be, if he's if he's healthy, will be the favorite to win the French Open. I, I believe Mats Philander will disagree with that, but I'm still not convinced that 2022 is going to be the year that Zverev wins a slam just because of the nerves he's got. You know, he's still very young. I mean, you're talking. You know, you look at a guy like Andy Murray, it took him forever to win a slam. He's got so much time, but I just don't know that 2022 is going to be it for Zverev, where I believe any time that Nadal enters that French Open, he's he's the favorite if he's healthy.
1: Matt Svielander, Johnny Levine thinks you're going to disagree with him, do you?
3: <laughs> well, I think that
2: why I, why I think Sasha Zverev has a really good chance is I think he's got a chance to win all four. I mean, I wow. think he's a better hardcourt player. Not all four in the same year, of course, all but right. he's a better hardcourt player most probably. But he's won enough on clay where I think the French Open five sets. Uh, you've got to be a serious player to beat him. He's not going to get tired. And I think Wimbledon is not going to be a, a, a horrible surface for him going forwards either because um, he, he's really good at, at going down deep uh, in his knees. He doesn't mind a low bounce. Um, That serve is just an absolute monster. So I do believe that if Nadal shows up at the French, it does mean he's healthy. Uh, So I agree with uh, you there, Johnny. uh, And that takes away uh, definitely a chance for any of the other guys to, to, uh, to win it, or at least it minimizes their chances. But I'm not sure that I might not be right in the end, gentlemen. I have a feeling that we have this weird situation that all three of them are going to end up on 20 majors.
1: Okay, and I will have to say before we go to break that I think that unquestionably, whether I like it or not, whether we like it or not, unquestionably, Alexander Zverev has a much better chance of winning a major championship than either Nadal or Federer by far. And I would be willing to say I think Zverev's got as, as good a chance to win any major as Djokovic does going forward. So Let me ask that. you, Andy. Okay. And let
2: me put you on the spot here a little bit, if you don't mind, for one second. At all. Now that Zverev is playing a way more aggressive style of game, um, he's coming forwards a little bit. Daniel Medvedev has gone from basically a world-class pusher to a world-class aggressor at times, not all the time. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas has been pushing the envelope going forwards the whole time. I mean, where where are these guys going in terms of their games? Are they all just becoming more and more and more and more and more aggressive? And is that because of Novak Djokovic and that's the way they have to play? Or is this just a a, a normal, natural evolution for these guys, realizing with all the knowledge they have, with, uh, with none of the technical flaws, because they really don't have many, many technical flaws. They can do everything. Um, is this the way that tennis is going to be played going forwards? Because they all seem to be playing exactly the same way. They are not afraid of being aggressive.
1: Well, I think it's, it's a natural maturation process without question. And the maturation process is being supercharged by the bar having been set where it was set by Roger and Rafa and Novak. I think we saw the Williams sisters do the same thing for the women's game, and it brought the women's game to a level that it had not seen prior to them coming along and has not turned back. And I think the same thing is now happening. Now it becomes a matter between Zverev and Medvedev and Tsitsipas and Kasparud and Andre Rublev and the rest of these guys. It's all a matter of self-belief on a given day. If the guy believes he can get it done, and that's what went wrong for Zverev in that U.S. Open final against team when it came down to it, when it was time to pull all the chips into the middle of the table, you know, mentally and emotionally, Sasha Zverev didn't have the cards. And so now the question is, does he have a couple of aces in his sleeve as a result of this result i think he does i think medvedev does as a result of the u.s open and i think the rest of the guys in the locker room will ski in their wake which is what's going to make it a lot more difficult for the big three going forward because i think a lot of confidence is going to be derived from the results of medvedev and zverev at the end of the year all right let's go to break Lots more to get to. King Richard Garbina Mugarutha wins down in Guadalajara in very impressive fashion. We've got also uh, other ladies' tennis storylines to discuss. You're listening to kickserveradio.com, the Thanksgiving edition. Here we are part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Don't go away. Much more to come. Nestled in
0: the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho. Matt's VLander Tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Former number one and seven time, yep, that's right, seven time Grand Slam champion Matt's VLander now owns Gravity Fitness and Tennis. And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all, including indoor tennis. Lots of high-quality training equipment in a clean and bright, spacious workout area. They have yoga and Pilates, as well as hydro options. They also have martial arts and something I have never seen before, TRX suspension training. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. You will be trained by one of the all-time greats in the sport of tennis. Time on court with mats is an amazing experience, one I assure you, you will never forget. After my clinic with Matt, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent, reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to matsvlandertennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho.
1: Welcome back everybody, kickserveradio.com Thanksgiving edition. We're going to talk a little later in the show about what we are thankful for in the sport of tennis. And one of the things, guys, that we'll be thankful for is when we know that Peng Shui is is safe and in a good place. And obviously, this is a this is a tough story. And Johnny, you know, you made the this is tough to comment on because it's so complicated and we don't really know what to what is to be made of all this, other than Mats Svilander we're we're pleased with the way the women's tennis association has conducted themselves. And in particular, Steve Simon, he seems to mean business with this situation.
2: No, he really does. They they have, uh, they have uh, put up a very strong front. Obviously uh, the women's tour um, is uh, quite dependent on having tournaments in Asia and, and in China, of course. Um, The Chinese obviously have had some uh, great female players with, uh, Li Na leading the pack, but but uh, tennis, women's tennis in China is big. But I really like the the stance that they've taken because we must never forget that that professional tennis for women is the biggest, most lucrative professional sports for women right Uh, and I think that's uh, really important that they set the tone and it helps other sports as well so they have really uh, done a great job here and and somehow I think that's going to make them uh, get even stronger of course any none of it really matters uh, until we know if Peng Shui is uh, is fine and if she's uh, sitting there and signing autographs uh, be willingly, or if she's forced to be there, we, we would hope that this is uh, her choice. But, but uh, like you said, Andy, we don't really know exactly where the story is going to end. But WTA, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of of uh, what they've done here in in, uh, in response to this this situation.
1: And I'm a big fan of the way Serena has come out and and been very vocal about this. And there are times where we have a tendency to uh, no matter what an athlete does, if they come out and take a a strong stance, they're criticized for doing that. If they don't take a strong stance, they're criticized for doing it. And in this particular case, I think for Serena to really lead the women's tour with her voice to show her outrage about this situation um, really showed well for her and her character and uh, her willingness to put her arms around, you know, the women that have, 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 you know, been her contemporaries on the tour, Peng Shui being one of them. And I was very pleased to see Serena. And anyway, with all of that, we just hope that this comes to a uh, to a conclusion that that we can all be thankful for. And Johnny, speaking of Serena, we've recently had the release of the movie King Richard. And I don't know if you've seen the film or seen the trailers, but it seems that Hollywood meant business when they cast Will Smith in the role of Richard Williams.
3: Yeah, I have not seen it. I'm um, looking forward to watching it. I know you guys are going to take it uh, in the movie theaters, and um, I'm interested to see what you guys think, but it's definitely gotten some really good reviews. So what a story that is, those sisters. Um, so it should be should be fun to watch that one.
1: You know, it's just a story, match that when you really look on it, you kind of joked when they were really at their best and they were one in the world, and you kind of said, well, you know, Hollywood couldn't have scripted this was kind of the standard line two sisters coming from where they came from and 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 getting to number one and two in the world and playing in all of these major finals you know yet it happened I mean your story winning the French at 17 you know has got the hallmarks of uh you know of a Hollywood script writer as well but the Williams sisters is just it's just something the likes of which that will never be seen again
2: no, absolutely. And I think, obviously, uh, it helps the story that that King Richard uh, in real life was out there. Uh, and, uh, and he was saying that. I mean, he really was saying that, that my two daughters are going to be the best in the world. And then Venus, remember when she became number one, uh, she said her biggest uh, opponent is going to be her young sister, Serena. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? And it's true. She was right. So I think that it, it, uh, it tells me that uh, Richard Williams, A, um, definitely uh, was a genius when it comes to teaching his daughters to play tennis. I think they are both uh, are very grounded and mature in a sport that really didn't have that many African-Americans. Of course, there was a few before, of course, but they made such a splash. So um, it's just amazing how he prepared them uh, for the professional circuit. And the most interesting part is they didn't play in the junior tournaments. I mean, we always, and I run into this all the time, is we have to send our kids away to tennis academies and and they have to be tournaments and they got to be tournaments tough and they got to compete. No, you don't. Not if you're good enough, like the Williams sisters, they competed against each other and they found a way to be really competitive the first time they stepped on the pro court. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from this. And no, you can't expect your daughter or daughters or any player to become as good as the Williams sisters. But we should take a look at it and really figure out what are the things that Richard did with Venus and Serena. And what is it that made them so great? And what is it that he taught them? I mean, there's a lesson to be learned there for everyone. I think
1: that's an incredibly important point is you're right. You're never going to expect your children to grow up and do what Venus and Serena did, but what can you do that Richard Williams did to tap into the genius of your children, whatever it may be. There's one line, In that movie where he's talking to one of the social workers and he says, well, I'll tell you what's happening in this house. You're going to have doctors and you're going to have lawyers and you're going to have tennis stars. And this guy, he knew what was going on inside of his daughters and he was able to, to tap into that genius. And I think that's, that's maybe, you know, the point of the film and worth studying other women's stories, Johnny, you know, you had Garbina Muguruza winning in, in Guadalajara and it was beautiful to see her on stage alongside Chris Everett and Billie Jean King. And so that was a real nice moment uh, for the tour final to end on, on the WTA side, but let's face it, if there's something to be thankful for above all else this year, and it did come from the women's game, it was the story of what happened at the U S open. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. And so to Mats's point, the WTA has had its challenges, but when it came to the story of the year, the feel good story of the year. Does it get any better than what we saw in New York this year with the ladies?
3: That final was um, one that we will always remember. And the, the two young ladies brought from England and, and um, Fernandez from Canada, both. Um, I believe under 20 years old, Eight, 18 and 19, 18 and 19. So I don't know that we'll ever see that. I don't think we will see very soon, another qualifier win a grand slam and uh, the depth of, of the women's game we've talked about on, on this show is never been to the level it, it is now. And you see where, you know, people might've thought about a going to come out after the U S open and, and win more tournaments. I don't think she got past the quarterfinals in anything she played after the U S open has had some tough losses. And it just, again, it, it just shows you how deep women's tennis is. And so it'll be interesting to see how she performs in 2022. So it's, it, it comes down to, you know, how do you handle the pressure and these, these young players that have this early success, it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, the women's game is, is really, really fantastic. And um, again, the slams that we'll see in 2022 could have four different winners for sure.
1: Matt's before we go to break, you know, when, when Radha Kanu won the U S open hundreds of millions of dollars immediately were put in play for various reasons, be they endorsements, be they exhibitions, be it prize money, be it coaches, all kinds of different employment arrangements. And, and so much all of a sudden was, was put right in front of her. Comparatively speaking back in 1982, when you won the French Open at 17, what, what kind of a conversation did you have with your handlers? And, and what was the scope and size of what was in play at the time compared to what Raducanu was dealing with at this point in time?
2: Yeah, you can't obviously compare the uh, money in those days to to money today. The of money has increased in, um, a lot since then. Obviously, I remember when I won a French in 82, I think the – the total prize money for the winner was $66,000 and wow. And that's most probably equal to, and Johnny, you're the businessman amongst the three of us, but, um, $66,000 in 1982 is most probably equal to six, $700,000 now I would think. Um, I mean, it bought me a Porsche. And so maybe it's, um, maybe it's a little less, but I think the difference is contracts. I mean, um, I didn't necessarily get any new big contracts. I signed uh, a clothing deal. My dad told me the year after that I have to leave Sweden because I was paying 82% in tax wow. uh, in Sweden. And I need to go somewhere because my career could be over in two years. And maybe I put a, a couple of hundred thousand dollars in my bank account. So I did. I moved to Monte Carlo. where therefore for five years uh, and uh, trained there, realized that's a really good place to go and train uh, and hang out with other tennis players. So that was a very healthy move, but you cannot compare. The social media thing is completely different. Uh, I mean, granted in my day, I think that I played my match on NBC in America. Bjorn Borg was actually one of the commentators I've heard. Uh, Very difficult for him to say anything when I played Guillermo Vilas because there wasn't much to talk about because the rallies were too long and there weren't any winners of any kind. Um, so I think it's completely different. I don't, I don't compare, but what I, what I think is different, um, what is the same? So is that pressure, there's no pressure. You want to major, you're 18 years old. Where's the pressure? So that's what I get confused Um, What what do you mean pressure? You want to major so the pressure is gone. There's no pressure on you at all. And if you feel pressure, then I believe you have the wrong people around you. I really do because they've got to let her be and then she can build that pressure on her own. But, But there's no pressure. Boris Becker did exactly the same thing. He won the, the Wimbledon in 1985 at the 17-year-old. He defended Wimbledon in 1986. So the, the reason Michael Chang didn't win any more majors is that he was one out of four, Jim Courier, Pete Sampras, and Andre Agassi, uh, that won majors. And obviously, they were better players than Michael Chang. But, but pressure, I think pressure is brought on by the people that are surrounding someone like Emma Raducanu. So I think that they need to let her grow up uh, and, uh, and I think they're trying. In general, it's very difficult to be a manager or an agent um, and not get ahead of yourself, for sure. But if they just let her be, I bet she's just going to be back in the winner's circles very soon. Can they? That's the difference. I don't think they can.
1: Well, you know, shocking to hear uh, a multiple-time Grand Slam champion from Sweden talking about pressure. What do you mean, pressure? Yeah, that's pretty shocking, isn't it, Johnny? Exactly. That's what those guys are about,
2: him and Borg. But, you know, guys, the, the, what we don't talk about is that the, um, the confidence that you get from winning way outweighs the pressure that you feel from winning. And we don't talk about that. And nobody talks, All oh, the pressure. Yeah, but hold on. The confidence that you gain by winning a major That is immeasurable. That's an incredible thing to have. Uh, And you get it for free because you know you can win on the biggest stage in the world. You can win seven matches against the best players in the world. And they can never take that confidence away from her. So I think that's what the people around her have to realize. She's not a model. She's not a fashion model. Um, She should stay away from from, uh, anything that has nothing to do with tennis, I believe. And, and if she's still winning at 25 years old, then make your, make your billion dollars back then. But right now, whatever it takes to nurture her tennis game, I mean, it's ridiculous if, um, if you see these young players be on the cover of, of the fashion magazines of the world. At 18, crazy.
1: Well, as far as the confidence that's derived from winning a major, Johnny we will just have to take his word for it. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we are thankful for in the sport of tennis as this is the thanksgiving edition of kickserveradio.com we are part of tennis channel podcast network what we're thankful for right after this welcome back everybody final segment of the thanksgiving edition of kickserveradio.com part of tennis channel Podcast Network, Matt Svilar, Johnny Levine, Andy Zoden, and guys, you know we're coming up on the end of the year, and I think it's always important for us to look back on all that the sport of tennis has given us in our lives, and and to acknowledge some of that. And Johnny, I'm going to start with you. You've uh, had a tremendous career, and 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 it put you through college, and you were able to play some professional tennis and travel the world, and. And as a result of, of all of your world travels, you had so much to be able to teach your children. But ultimately, when you look back on what you're thankful for with regard to what tennis has given you and what tennis has given us as fans this year, what, what, what comes to
3: mind? Well, Andy, that's a that's a really good one. And I think about it a lot. I think about what the tennis what I'm most thankful from tennis is. Uh, and it's pretty simple for me. Um, I actually thought about it over the weekend. And what I am most thankful that I got from tennis was the friendships that I made in the tennis world. It's not even close. I mean, I I love the travel. I love the experiences. I love the highs from winning. The lows were part of it as well. But when you, you know, I'm 58 years old now and I'm, I'm basically over 25, over 30 years removed from the game. And when I think back of of the great friendships that I have from tennis, you two being two of them, and we just help, have that reunion and seeing those those guys that we stay in touch with, and I even got in touch with a, with, a, with a guy that I played on the tour with, that I had an experience with that I met him in playing him at the NCAs in the first or second round, my second year in college, um, and I'd been trying to reach him for many many years. And I finally got hold of his number. He was a his name is Ahmed El mahelmi from Cairo, Egypt. He was a great tennis player, played Davis Cup for for Egypt. And I had an experience at his house when he hosted me during the. It was a seventy five thousand dollar event, and I connected with him over the weekend out of nowhere. He was blown away, and we talked and talked and shared pictures. And we're going to try to get together in, in Europe sometime, maybe in the next year or so. These are the things that I remember most, and. These relationships, I just absolutely treasure them, and there's there's many of them. I feel so blessed to have met the people I've met in tennis.
1: And Matt, you too, obviously have a treasure chest of memories that come from the sport. But there have to be some things that sort of stand above the rest that may may or may not surprise us. What comes to mind?
2: Well, I mean, it, obviously, and I, I, I agree, Johnny, a hundred percent friendships. Uh, that you've made over the years and friendships that last as well. Uh, and I think for me is, is everything tennis players that you've only traveled with for three or four years on the professional tour, but, but somehow it's their deep relationships that I don't speak to them all the time, but when you run into one another, it's like t- time has, has stood still. So I agree with Johnny there hundred percent. I think what tennis has given me is given me a certain amount of um, confidence uh, in myself, and I'm not talking about uh, that I haven't made mistakes. I've made a whole lot of mistakes on and off the court, and I haven't bounced back from all of them perfectly, a hundred percent. But but I think I, I have a quiet, uh, acquired a quiet confidence uh, in my uh, ability to begin to try and solve the problem, to even start to solve the problem. Uh, And like I'm saying, no, I haven't solved most of them, but I'm not afraid of trying to solve a problem because I think you learn to do that as a tennis player. And I say, even for me, Uh, And I'm sure for you too, obviously most problems on a tennis court you did not solve, but there was a willingness to do that. So I think that's what tennis gave me is that I do have a will to begin to solve problems. I'm not a Sudoku fan. I can't solve that problem, guys. (laughs) I can't stand that because it just messes with my mind. But I like to put myself out there a little bit, um, do podcasts with you gentlemen, do some live TV. uh, And I'm not... um, Not really afraid in a way. I I have confidence in my, like I said, in my ability to, if I embarrass myself, I think I'm going to be okay and come back from us or solve that problem. So I think that's what it's given me in a very selfish way. It did buy me a Porsche uh, in 1983 as a 19-year-old, which obviously was my dream car since I was about 12.
1: Okay, well, and I'm not exactly a Rubik's cube guy myself in terms of problem solving, but I will say this: I'll take it a step further with the friendships, because for me, what tennis has given me is the ability uh, to become friends with so many people that I've I've always idolized, and you two being two of those. Johnny, I idolized you the day I met you in college, and what I watched you do as a college tennis player. And know that you know one of my good friends was out doing in tennis, and of course, with you, Max, it was uh, idolizing you from afar and just watching the way you conducted yourself on the court and the example that you set for the world. Johnny, the example that you set for our university and for American tennis, I thought uh, was was very important. And and because of the fact that those those friendships with with people that I think so highly of, that instills confidence in me to obviously be doing something right so I think that what I feel that that I'm thankful for about tennis are are those friendships and that confidence those life lessons and for me to be a kid who was a you know pretty good little tennis player I mean middle of the pack in Texas and you know played a little walk on college tennis and and an okay teaching pro uh, to be able to have a career and to meet my wife and to and to start a life that has revolved around tennis uh, that's a lot for me to be thankful for. So you two guys are are very high on the list, and what we're doing right now is very high on the list of things that I'm thankful for. And all I can hope for is that the people at Tennis Channel, like the David Eggnesses of the world and, 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 and Ari Cohen and all those boys there, uh, Andy Chu and them, are also thankful that we're part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network because we're certainly thankful to be a part of Tennis Channel. So with that, I wish you both a very happy Thanksgiving uh, with your families and um, wish all of our listeners a happy Thanksgiving. And thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. We're really enjoying what we're doing. And as I say, we're very thankful and very proud to be a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. So for Matt's Wielander Johnny Levine, I'm Andy Zoden. This is kickserveradio.com and we are thankful for you.